ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Hello and welcome to the February 28th, 2021 episode of the Boxing Source Radio Show. I am your host, James Bell, the leader of the Boxing Source on social media. You can get articles on the sport of boxing through theboxingsource.net. So be sure to uh, go on there and you can get all the news you need. In reference to the sport of boxing, you can also follow us on Facebook through The Boxing Source. We also have an Instagram page, The Boxing Source, on there. Twitter, at Boxing Source 2. And of course, we are on YouTube. We want to get things going here for this particular segment of this podcast. And we want to get into, of course, uh, what happened over in the... Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. You had Saul Canelo Alvarez defending the WBC, WBA, and Ring Magazine Super Middleweight titles against Abney Yildirim. Uh, you had Abney Yildirim, of course, being the WBC mandatory. Um, and yeah, he was named the WBC mandatory uh, for some, you know, strange reason. Uh, you know, even though. Uh, he came in there with a record of 21 wins and two losses. Uh, he had been inactive since his fight against Anthony Durrell, where he lost a technical decision uh, in 2019. Uh, but you had Anthony Durrell go off of that particular fight to fight David Benavidez. And, uh, you know, we saw that David Benavidez was able to stop uh, Anthony Durrell. And so you just didn't have a mandatory challenger. Uh, but of course, you know how things kind of worked out where, you know, the WBC, um, super middleweight title ended up being vacated as you had, you know, David Benavidez not making weight for his fight against Romer Alexis Angulo. So it became vacant, and then, you know, Canelo said, hey, um, guess what? Hey, maybe I could go ahead and uh, get that uh, WBC uh, belt. And he ended up doing that with his win over Callum Smith last December. So uh, he moved ahead to have the mandatory defense of that WBC title pretty much two months after he defeated Callum Smith against Abney Yodrum. So uh, you had, of course, uh, Canelo there with a record of 54 wins, one loss, and two draws going into this particular fight. Of course, he was highly favored to win this particular battle. 
And, uh, you know, the crazy part about it is, is that you had, you know, uh, Adney Yodrum at one point as a sparring partner for Canelo Alvarez when Canelo Alvarez was preparing for one of his fights against Gennady Golovkin. And uh, later on down the line, you see that they are in the ring against each other. Um, you had Abney Odorum uh, actually change trainers over the t period of inactivity that he had in between the fights with Anthony Durrell and Canelo Alvarez. He ended up getting Joel Diaz, uh, who has you know trained a few uh, guys that have won world titles before. Um, and you know, going into this particular battle, it seemed like they were uh, confident in the uh, changes that they implemented in Abney Yodrum's repertoire. But he was going up against a guy that was regarded by many as being the top pound-for-pound -pound fighter in the sport of boxing. Uh, you know, like I said, four-division champion. Um, you know, had his wins over the likes of Sergey Kovalev, Callum Smith, like I said before. Um, Daniel Jacobs, Gennady Golovkin, you know, um, <laughs> Miguel Cotto, Austin Trout, you know, the list goes on. There's Landy Lara, everything, you know, with this long loss to Floyd Mayweather Jr., of course. But, you know, going into this particular battle, man, uh, you know, a lot of people just felt like this was going to be something to where Canelo Alvarez was going to get in there, see if he could you know, fulfill those, um, you know, predictions by many people saying that he was going to clearly beat Abney Yildirim and uh, go forward in his plans for the rest of 2021. And, well, that's basically what happened there. I mean, you had Canelo Alvarez just being the faster and more uh, powerful fighter and it was evident in the first round. Canelo Alvarez was throwing like a, you know, like a jab and then a left hook to the body. And once that first left hook to the body landed on Abney Yodrum, you could pretty much uh, spell the end uh, for Abney Yodrum, man. That was just something that, you know, I kind of like felt that Abney Yodrum didn't really have that much of a shot against Canelo Alvarez. And, we saw in that first round, that was, you know, basically, yeah, Abney Odorum just came in there, you know, walked towards Canelo Alvarez and had his hands up, pretty much up towards his face, uh, you know, had his hands up, walking up, walking up, and didn't really throw anything except for maybe a jab or two. But when you allow Canelo Alvarez to get off first, he's going to get off first and he's going to throw, you know, a couple of combinations to send a message to you. And that is exactly what Canelo Alvarez did in that first round. Just landed left hooks to the body pretty much at will um, and showcased everything uh, from that. And every time that Abney Odom threw a punch, either it was out of range or was basically blocked. Uh, whether it was a jab that was you know caught by the guard of Canelo Alvarez or when he tried to throw a power punch or a hook and it was, you know, completely dodged by Canelo, man. I mean, it was not really uh, uh, a good showing by Adney Odorum at all. Um, and it kind of like felt like he just showed up to 
you know, just basically beat up. I mean, that's what it is straight up. Now, you know, the second round, he saw more of the same of Canelo Alvarez, and he also implemented the uppercut, which was there all day for Canelo Alvarez. As Ebony Odom just didn't move his head, didn't step, you know, side to side, just came forward, came forward, came forward, and had his uh, guard up, high guard up. So you had you leave yourself open to the uppercut when you have the high guard because there's spacing right where you know where your elbows are uh, when you have your high guard. So Canelo just like you know threw a left jab followed with right uppercut, bam. Or he would just uh, do a feint with the right lead, right hand lead, and come in with the left uppercut, bam. And that was just, uh, you know, what, like I said, a showcase of Canelo Alvarez's skills and everything he just threw just felt like it was with a lot of emphasis. Like you see him, sometimes you see him there in the gym with uh, his trainer, Eddie Reynoso, and he'll be there in the, with the heavy backs going, rah, 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 basically. And that is what you just saw. He was just there throwing them shots. Rah. Bam, bam, and he was just landing the left hooks to the body at will. And like I said, in the second round, he was landing those uppercuts. And that was just a signal of this is going to be blowout central. Uh, reminded people of when Canelo Alvarez faced Rocky Fielding over at Madison Square Garden, which was an easy night for Canelo Alvarez. And we... Saw the same thing here against Abner Yoderim. And after, you know, throwing those uppercuts in the second round, you saw more of it in the third round. And then you saw, you know, Canelo throw a one-two combination. And when he threw that one-two combination, <laughs> Abner Yoderim just fell down to the canvas. <laughs> just blip blap. And when he got hit with the right, he just went, ugh. And then went down to the canvas. And uh, you had the uh, referee uh, there, Telus Asimenios, or Asimenios, Asimenios. Oh my gosh, I didn't mess that up about 15 times, man. Telus Asimenios put up the count. Uh, but, you know, Abney Odorum got up pretty much around the counter, too. Looked in his corner, smiled, uh, you know, said he was okay. But then when, you know, after that count went through, Canelo went forward and started throwing power shots um, while Yodorum was to the ropes. And Yodorum only answered with like a left hook that, you know, was basically blocked. And you just saw more of Canelo Alvarez throwing hooks to the body Throwing right hand hooks upstairs, you know, nothing really um, from Yodrum to, you know, put Canelo at bay. And uh, that's what you had in, by the end of those three rounds. And when Yodrum went to the corner, Joel Diaz just told him, like, yo, you're going to have to show me something. You're going to have to show me something this round, or I'm going to have to stop the fight. Well, he looked at him, 
Jordan looked like he was just chilling. Real talk looked like he was just there and and said he 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 got his uh days working. Uh, of course, you know in fights he said you don't get paid overtime. Well, all you got to do is just show up and be there for at least one round and you get paid. And well, Jordan got paid. And after the end of three rounds, he was coming uh to the start of the fourth. Joel Diaz said, nah, you ain't going out there. And they stopped the fight before the start of round four. Canelo Alvarez gets to stop his victory. He has now 55 wins in his professional career. That is registered as his 37th KO or stoppage victory. So he's 55, one and two, retains the WBC, WBA, and Ring Magazine Super Middleweight titles. And now he will go forward with his next defense, which was formally announced after the fight with the matchroom head there, uh, Eddie Hearn, as May 8th will be the date for Canelo Alvarez versus the WBO super middleweight champion, Billy Joe Saunders. Um, It's something that, you know, a lot of people expected uh, coming off what happened uh, in Canelo's fight with Callum Smith after he won that particular bout, you know, um, they were kind of like anticipating that he would end up facing Billy Joe Saunders as Saunders was kind of slated to fight uh, Canelo Alvarez last year, uh, around like May 2nd of last year. Uh, but of course, with the uh, lockdown and everything uh, that came down months before, they had, you know, scratched about. So uh, Canelo, you know, got back into it, uh, won the super middleweight titles uh, with the win over Kellen Smith. Uh, you had uh, Billy Joe Saunders. He was able to, um, you know, defend the WBO super middleweight title that he acquired. Um, and... He did also defend it, you know, against Martin Murray last year. So now you're going to have the WBC, WBA, WBO, and Ring Magazine super middleweight titles on the line with Canelo Alvarez against Billy Joe Saunders. So it's going to be one thing to look forward to uh, in the, what is that, around Cinco de Mayo weekend that will be uh, coming up. Now, it's not uh, known as of yet as to where it will be. Um, some people may say it's going to be in Vegas. Others say it may end up being in Texas, um, you know, depending on uh, what happens with, you know, uh, safety protocols for, you know, various venues. Of course, you know, with Las Vegas, they really haven't had uh, that many um, events where uh, people can attend. So you might just have it to the point where, it could end up being in Texas, just like the Canelo fight against Callum Smith that was over in the Alamo Dome in San Antonio. But I think this could possibly be at the AT&T Stadium uh, next year. Of course, you had Errol Spence versus Danny Garcia at the AT&T Stadium last year. Uh, and they had a good number of people um, being able to attend that. But uh, something with an event as big as Canelo Alvarez against Billy Joe Saunders uh, could be over in the AT&T Stadium, you know. And it's, uh, you know, something that I feel like 
um, you know, with Canelo Alvarez working with Matchroom, working with Eddie Hearn, they, they want to, you know, get things uh, continuing here. So, you know, after he had his first fight, you know, with Callum Smith, and then you have this going on with, uh, you know, Abney Yildirim, he has one more fight working with Matchroom, and it will be against Billy Joe Saunders. Um, I'll kind of like get into the whole thing with um, the way that things looked as far as like Canelo's intro and how they did things for him uh, for the particular bout against having to yield to him later. Because, uh, I mean, it was just something that you know, I kind of like said, like, yo, I mean, they're kind of going a little bit over the top with this. I know that they want to kind of duplicate the type of atmosphere that they have with like Anthony Joshua, like when Anthony Joshua's over at Wembley or the O2 Arena or something like that. Um, but there's just like some things where it just does not kind of mesh well. And I'm not sure about this thing here with um, Canelo Alvarez and, and uh, you know, having those type of introductions there with Matchroom, but we will kind of get into that a little bit more later on down the line. So uh, that was... That main event uh, that happened over at the uh, Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. Now, uh, you also had you know, the co-feature bout, which could have been Julio Cesar Martinez against McWilliams Arroyo for the WBC flyweight title. But, oh man, Julio Cesar Martinez gets scratched out of that bout once again. And McWilliams Arroyo does not have a fight against Julio Cesar Martinez for like the third time because he could have fought him, you know, back in, I think it was what, like August or something like that over in Tulsa. And then he, you know, um, you know, he had uh, Julio Mart Cesar Martinez have an illness. So he was out in, and then it was going to be, uh, I guess, closer to the end of the year. And then that kind of was uh, scrapped. And so they were going to try another time here for, you know, well, yesterday, February 27th. And once again, failed to happen. So all you had was McWilliams Arroyo going up against Abraham Rodriguez. And, uh, man, uh, ugh. you know, that one was, um, boy, oh, boy, that was a... Um, Fifth round stoppage victory for McWilliams Arroyo, man. Uh, you know, he, you know, he, he just, uh, it was just almost like, you know, two, two different levels of class in, in, in that particular bout. So you, you had McWilliams Arroyo, uh, looking like he was out there in the gym almost, you know, having a basic sparring session, but it was just something where he, just went through the motions and got everything going uh, there for about four, almost five rounds until uh, the referee that was there, Sam Burgos, stopped it at uh, the one minute, 41 second mark of the fifth round, right? Um, you know, and the thing with Rodriguez, Rodriguez was coming in there um, with, you know, uh, 27 wins and two losses, but you know, he had been in Charweight and Junior Flyweight. 
Uh, it's been a good while since it was even at flyweight. So, um, you know, but he had to be a late replacement as, uh, you know, Julio Cesar Martinez had injured his right hand, man. But, you know, like I said before, it was supposed to fight uh, back in August. And then, you know, it they were trying to, you know, see if they could uh, get things going once again before the end of the year. But nope, that ain't, that ain't really happened. So he tried to do it, you know, uh, yesterday. But with that injury too, uh, Martinez, that's all you had was with Williams Arroyo um, going up against Abraham Rodriguez. And that was just, uh, you know, that was like, come on, man, that... That was just not a good look at all. I mean, of course, he had, um, you know, Arroyo, who had, you know, contended for, uh, you know, flyweight title earlier in his career against Chocolatito Gonzalez, against I'm Not Run Run. But, you know, this time he wanted to see if he could get another shot at a world title, but it didn't necessarily happen. He is the mandatory contender for that title, but still haven't been able to get that fight put together. So he was able to get an easy win in five rounds. He is an interim champion, WBC interim champion. Uh, so when you have Julio Cesar Martinez uh, there uh, at full strength, he will finally be able to get that shot at the WBC flyweight title. Um, so we're, we'll, we'll see if... <laughs> You're going to have Julio Cesar Martinez uh, be able to get himself uh, back back in, uh, you know, good condition uh, with his hand. And then they'll see if they could arrange for that fight to happen uh, once again. Uh, <laughs> something tells me that they're going to try to have this fight on May 8th as part of that card with Canelo Alvarez against Billy Joe Saunders. So, be on the lookout for that within the next, you know, a few weeks or so, because that's less than a three-month turnaround. You know, it's, you know, here's pretty much one day until March, and you're going to have March, April, and then one week of May, and then boom, there you go. You're going to have Canelo versus Billy Joe Saunders already. Uh, so maybe you're going to have, you know, McWilliams Arroyo and Julio Cesar Martinez as part of that fight card. They're going to see if they could try that. Once again, um, for we close out this uh, particular uh, analysis of this fight card, wanted to get into the fight that happened before those two fights. Basically, it was the fight of the night to me. Overall, like it with with all the action that happened yesterday, this particular fight was the fight of the night to me, right? Heavyweight battle. Undefeated Zilai Zhang 22-0 against Jerry Forrest. Coming in there at 26-4. Jerry Forrest had his bout against Carlos Tackham last year over in Las Vegas where Carlos Tackham pretty much just showed like they were two different levels of, you know, fighting. Of course, Carlos Tackham, former IBF mandatory contender, you know, that faced Anthony Joshua, um, you know, back in 2017. Um, and he just, you know, 
clearly beat Jerry Forrest in that particular battle. And then uh, Zelay Zhang, of course, undefeated, coming from China, uh, now residing in New Jersey. I don't know how that works. Um, you know, we had him, uh, you know, recent battle against Devin Vargas uh, over at, you know, Hollywood, Florida. And he got a fourth-round KO against Devin Vargas. Uh, you know, pretty much was able to beat down Devin Vargas in that particular fight. Um, but here you had uh, this thing where uh, he has Lai Zhang uh, coming in there with, uh, like, what is he about? Like, six foot six against Jerry Forrest, man. And uh, Jerry Forrest is, you know, of course, a lot sm shorter there at six one. Uh, 78 inch reach and you know it looked like uh, it was going to be a clear you know victory uh, for Zlay Zhang as he was able to get an opening round knockdown second round got another knockdown third round you know you saw that Forrest was in there he was battling and everything and they had like a good exchange up close and then Jerry Forrest got caught with a hook, bow, and and he went down once again. So that's three. That is three knockdowns that happened within the first three rounds, and it just looked like um man like it was going to be another uh, stoppage victory for Zelay Zhang, but Jerry Forrest was able to work his way back into it. On the flip side, it felt like Zelay Zhang kind of had that. You know, uh, was it the Latimer Klitschko, uh, school of boxing type of fighting, hit and hold, hit and hold. Well, that's what he was doing <laughs> from like the fourth round on, hit and hold, hit and hold, right? But while he was hitting and holding, you still had Jerry Forrest just getting in there trying to, you know, you know, fight his way back into the fight, like hitting him, bam, 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 throwing. You know, throwing some hooks, power shots upstairs, uh, having, you know, Zelay Zang, forcing Zelay Zang to hold. And, um, you know, the thing about it is, man, uh, you saw, I think, from that eighth round on, Jerry Forrest was clearly, uh, you know, winning those rounds. Um, Zelay Zang was, you know, still holding. And then finally, uh, you know, referee there, uh, Frank Gentile, in round nine, you know, took a point away from Zelay Zang for all the holding, man, because he had these uh, heavyweights out there, you know, Jerry Forrest giving out his best effort. He's trying to throw his shots and everything, and, and, and Zelay Zang just only knew how to just tie him up. But, you know, uh, Gentile was like, uh, he wasn't having that in uh, round nine. And then round 10, man, you know, I thought, I thought round 10, like, Jerry Forrest could have had him. Because in the opening part of the round, man, he was hitting. He was just chin-checking the man, like, bam, bam, lefts and rights up to the chin, man. And he had, at one point, Zlay Zang backing up. And uh, he, I, I felt like he had him in trouble. The only thing is, like, he just didn't know how to mix uh, his punches up. And once again, he allowed himself to get tied up. He didn't work the body at any point to me. And, um, you know, it just ended up going through those uh, 10 rounds that they had for this particular bout. And so with the 10 rounds, they 
you know, went through the scorecards and ended up being a majority draw. You know, um, Jerry Forrest was able to get <laughs> himself back into the fight enough to force that fight to be a draw. And so Zale Zhang had came in there with 22 consecutive wins, but that is now not the case as you have a draw on his record. Jerry Forrest is now 26-4-1. And, uh, you know, Jerry Forrest was very disappointed about that result. He felt like he worked his way back to the fight and worked his way to win that particular bout. And, of course, he did say that, you know, he wants Joshua. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. And I don't know what that was all about, man. That was uh, kind of a... You know, crazy little comment after that particular fight uh, that he said that he wanted Joshua after, you know, that particular bout. So uh, maybe that kind of stems from, you know, the possibility that uh, Zile Zhang would have been, um, you know, a, a possible opponent for Anthony Joshua. Um, they were kind of like putting up ideas of Zile Zhang versus Anthony Joshua over in China. Uh, but, you know, looking at this particular performance from Zile Zhang, yeah, I don't know about all that. Uh, that's really a uh, good look for either side. I mean, that would, you know, kind of be a uh, big mistake. You know what I mean? But you also had, uh, you know, before the fight, uh, you had comments from... Um, you know, Zalei Zhang's trainer, Sean George, he said that, you know, he, you know, wanted to see if he could get Zalei Zhang in there against the likes of a Philip Hergovich or, you know, against, uh, you know, Derek Chisora. Uh, but, you know, that wasn't the case. Um, but also, they did drop an idea of having Zalei Zhang fight, I guess, the winner of um, the rematch between Dylan White and Alexander Povetkin. Uh, that is scheduled for March 27th over in Gibraltar. Uh, but, you know, after that particular performance, man, uh, yeah, uh, I don't know, man. You probably want to see a rematch between uh, Zang, Zang and, and, and uh, Jerry Forrest uh, before they put, like, uh, Zang against the likes of a Hergovich Schwartz or, or, you know, White or Povetkin. So, uh, that... You know, is um, one thing that we'll kind of like see uh, how that uh, turns out. So, you know, that that just uh, covers uh, what we had uh, there for uh, the fight card over in the Hard Rock Stadium in Miami, Florida. And we'll get back to more boxing action here in just a few moments. So, sit tight and we will be right back. All right, we are right back at it and um, wanted to continue here with the boxing action. We had the uh, fight card that was over in the Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. Like I said, Canelo easily took out Adney Odorum like everybody pretty much expected. Uh, you also had over in the Los Angeles area a uh, fight in the super middleweight division. Uh, this was a WBC eliminator bout uh, as you had 
Anthony the dog Darrell against Kyron Davis. Uh, you had uh, Darrell, of course, a former super middleweight champion. Uh, as I mentioned before, uh, he had that fight against uh, Abdi Odom where he was able to get a technical decision win before losing to David Benavidez. Um, so he came into this particular bout with a record of 33 wins, two losses, and one draw. Then you had Kyron Davis um, coming into this bout with a record of 15 and two. And, uh, you know, it was, I guess, uh, you know, some people going into this particular bout, they were like saying, you know, you have someone in Anthony Durrell, very experienced, uh, was there in the um, super middleweight division for, you know, pretty much uh, his whole career. Well, on the flip side, you had Kyron Davis, who kind of like flipped uh, back and forth uh, in the uh, middleweight and the super welterweight division, you know. Um, and, you know, he didn't have that much um, experience against guys the level of uh, Anthony Durrell. So, kind of like felt like um, Durrell was a highly favored uh, fighter in this particular bout against Kyron Davis. Um, but, you know, over in Los Angeles, it was uh, something where, you know, I've I guess um, you know, a lot of people didn't expect Kyron Davis to uh, do what he did in there. Um, you had, uh, you know, on one side with Anthony Durrell, uh, he, you know, trains with, um, you know, the uh, trainers there over in Cronk Gym, you know, which, you know, basically includes like a, you know, a Sugar Hill Stewart and all those. Uh, but you had uh, Kyron Davis uh, there with Stephen Bradman Edwards. Uh, you know, those that know about Bradman, uh, he's you know trained a lot of a lot of fighters, uh, trained a few champions, notably uh, Julian J Rock Williams, former IBF uh, you know uh, or former unified champion there, um, and Cameron Davis you know did his thing uh, for a good uh, few rounds out there, um, nothing to the point where you know we had uh, Anthony Durrell in serious trouble. Or at least that's what Anthony Durrell felt like after the fight. Um, but you also see, like, during the fight that, you know, um, Durrell was like, man, come on, man. You you really ain't doing nothing in here, man. Like, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? But Kyron Davis, you know, still was there and kind of was uh, able to battle with, uh, you know, Anthony Durrell. And, you know, even with the experience level that Anthony Durrell has, I mean, he, you know, had been in there, um, like I said, uh, for a long time. Well, on the flip side, Kyron Davis has been there, what, it's been only like seven years. He's been a professional, seven years of professional, um, pretty much most of his career in the uh, middleweight division. So he kind of moved up to um, super middleweight to, you know, take this bout. Well, you know, you had uh, Anthony Durrell, who, you know, had been part of the whole thing with the, you know, involved off and on with guys that were, you know, either part of the Super Six or, you know, around that range, you know, finding the likes of Saki Obika, Caleb Truex, uh, you know, uh, like I said, he had that win um, a couple years ago against Abney Odorum before uh, losing to David Benavidez. But um, even with that level of experience that he had, 
Uh, he, it was still like a lot of those rounds with Kyron Davis were back and forth, you know, and it was kind of like tough rounds to score. So uh, going through those 12 rounds, man, um, you know, I, both, both fighters felt like they did enough to win the fight, um, but it went to the scorecards, and yeah, uh, you had uh, one judge, Lou Moret, scored the bout 115-113 for Kyron Davis. Pat Russell scored the bout 115-113 for Anthony Durrell. And then Zachary Young scored the bout 114-114 to make it a split decision draw. And that was, man, that kind of was a bad look. Not really because, um, you know, you had somebody that could have been a clear winner in this particular bout. Because some people could say, like, you know, you could have had Scores similar to that. You could have had seven rounds for Anthony Durrell. You could have had seven rounds for Kyron Davis. If you, you know, talk with them, you know, both of them would probably say that, you know, they had seven or eight rounds in that particular bout. Um, you know, there's a, uh, you know, post fight out there where, you know, you'll kind of hear from uh, Durrell and Davis, and they kind of feel like it was like 116, 112 their way. So that's eight rounds to four. But with this being a split decision draw, that nixes uh, the plans for who would have won that particular fight. This was a WBC title eliminator, and it was supposed to be like a uh, semifinal of sorts. Uh, the winner uh, would have faced the uh, victor of the bout uh, that's coming up on March 13th as David Benavidez will be going up against Ronald Ellis, you know, um, and those two would fight it out in a final eliminator as he would be the mandatory for the WBC super middleweight title. Now, going into this particular bout, Anthony Durrell was like, man, listen, I did my thing here. You know, I've been in the game for a long time, and I know this is a, you know, an eliminator bout, but if I'm getting this win, man, I ain't going into no another eliminator bout. Put me in there within another world title fight. That's what he was saying before this bout. But now with the draw, who knows what's going to happen uh, there. Um, you know, he's not really interested in the rematch. Kyron Davis is interested in a rematch. Um, of course, with Kyron Davis, he was saying after the fight, like once the this particular bout was made, like a lot of people were saying, oh man, like you're going up against a guy, he's very experienced, two-time world champion. He got, you know, way much more than you. You're going up a division. You don't really have much of a shot. And then he was able to put out the effort that he was able to put up. And... It came out to a draw, but he's like he was, you know, pretty happy about his performance. Um, he was interested in the rematch, but Anthony Durrell is not interested one bit in the rematch. 
um, think if Anthony Durrell came out with the win, like you were saying, he he wouldn't have, you know, waited for the winner of, uh, you know, Benavidez versus Ellis on March 13th because, you know, people kind of feel like Benavidez is um, favored to win that particular bout. And if Benavidez ends up winning, then it would be a rematch <laughs> with Durrell and Benavidez if, if Durrell won. So Durrell wasn't really interested in all that. Um, so that kind of was the uh, result, uh, majority draw. Hopefully, um, you'll be able to look uh, for more information about that particular bout. But that, yeah, that kind of was a uh, bad look uh, there uh, for, um, you know, Anthony Durrell in that performance. Wanted to uh, bring in a panelist here. So we're going to see if we could get him uh, going. Um, this should be uh, Brother Mike. Uh, from the Atlanta area, uh, checking in. What's going on, brother Mike? What's going on, Jr. Not too much, man. Uh, checking in. Oh, uh, uh, talking about the rail fight. I didn't, I didn't catch it. Uh, so if you don't mind, kind of telling me what happened. I know it was a draw. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, like I was saying earlier, um, going into the bout. A lot of people, I guess, that, you know, have followed, you know, the sport and things like that. They know about Anthony Durrell. Uh, they really didn't know that much about Kyron Davis. And if they, you know, looked into, you know, what Kyron Davis has done, um, he's, you know, had fights in the uh, super welterweight division. He's had fights in the middleweight division. Um, you know, one notable um, fight that he had uh, over at uh, the super welterweight division uh, was against Patrick Day. Um, and that was, you know, um, in March of uh, 2018. Uh, he lost to Patrick Day uh, by unanimous decision. But uh, he had like a couple of wins over at, you know, middleweight before this particular bout against Darrell, which was a WBC eliminator at super middleweight, which I still don't understand. Um, but Tyron Davis came in there. He was... He looked like he was a little bit bulked up to me. Uh, you know, he looked like he was bulked up for uh, this bout uh, where he, you know, was moving up in weight uh, while you had Anthony Durrell that, you know, kind of like comes in and walks around 190 or maybe higher than that and cuts down to, you know, the 168-pound limit. But Kyron Davis, you know, was able to do his thing in there. And um, he, he, you know, caught... He caught Darrell with a few, you know, good punches here and there, but, you know, nothing that really affected Anthony Darrell. Uh, there were, like, sometimes when Darrell kind of, like, shrugged off a lot of the offense that Kyron Davis was doing. Um, but there were some times where you had a little bit of a good back and forth between those two guys, and, and I think it ended up being a little bit of a better fight than people expected. But... From a, I guess from a prediction standpoint, I think that people favored Anthony Durrell to get through this particular bout. Uh, so with it ended up being a draw, that was you know very disappointing on his side. Um, it was disappointing for Kyron Davis as well, but you know something to the level where he's like saying, "Yeah, I didn't get the win, but you know I didn't get the loss either." And and given that a lot of people. I guess expecting him to lose this bout, that kind of like was a, you know, something that was a positive for him. 
Um, but I I think like he he did pretty well. It was just a very close bout between the two, you know. So um, like I said, with it being a draw, I don't know what happens in reference to the WBC with their eliminator, how they're gonna do it. Um, but Anthony Durrell said before the fight, if I get the win, I'm not interested in fighting another eliminator. I want a world title shot right off the rip. And, you know, even after that, he said he's not interested in a rematch. He's not interested in another eliminator. He wants to go ahead and have, you know, another uh, world title shot. But, I mean, you know, we'll see. Because, you know, Anthony Durrell, you know, as experienced as he is, we, we saw his performance against David Benavidez. And you know, a lot of people felt like David Benavidez was just way too much for him. So, I don't know how he will be able to get himself back into a world title shot uh, there in the super middleweight division, particularly where, of course, you got Canelo Alvarez as a unified champ, and you got Alvarez facing Billy Joe Saunders. So that leaves Caleb Plant. Now, Caleb Plant going up against uh, Anthony Durrell, uh, I don't see that happening. I really don't. So... That's 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 what I thought about that particular bout. But I could see Canelo fighting him though, because this is um, one guy that um, who got a urban s style that's very beatable. So in terms of matchmaking, I think Canelo would probably have a field day with him. I mean, he would have a field date with him, yeah, but I don't, um, I just don't see where Canelo would be interested in about with a uh, Anthony Durrell when there could be other guys that, you know, um, what is it, uh, Heyman Boxing or, you know, Tom Brown or whatever it is for PBC that he could, you know, he could be facing, Canelo could face Caleb Plant in September or he could face uh, David Benavides in September or, you know, he could face um, <clears throat> Jamal Charlo. Jamal Charlo moves up. He could face him in September. Those like That's like at least three fighters right there. That would be a better matchup for Canelo Alvarez and more intriguing than a matchup between Canelo and Anthony Durrell. I mean, Durrell is, like I said, he's he's been in there for a long time, and I really don't see what he could do against a Canelo. So that's that's exactly my point. I think the terminology you're using that would be a better matchup. Durrell would be a better matchup for Canelo than the three guys that you named. And it's going to get into my gripe when we get into Canelo, but he losing his place as my pound for pound fighting guys like this. And I question if he would fight under real because it's safe. Mm-hmm. I'm tired of pick me fights. <laughs> I want to see competition. I want to see... <laughs> Uh, 
Um, well, I mean, you had this fight against uh, Abner Yoderim for Canelo, as I, you know, talked about that uh, one point. And, I mean, a lot of people, of course, expected that to be an easy work barbecue chicken for Canelo Alvarez, which it was. Um, but that was kind of like a, kind of like a, um, I guess a throwaway fight, so to speak, for Canelo. Um, it was similar to uh, him facing Rocky Fielding when he, when he had that initial deal with zone. He signed with zone, and then they, you know, just gave him an opening fight uh, with Rocky Fielding before he, you know, had gone ahead to, you know, face a, um, you know, a Daniel Jacobs. And then the whole thing with, uh, you know, Sergey Kovalev. Now... Outside of that, I mean, he's faced, you know, the Eris Landy Lars, the Austin Trouts, the Miguel Cotos, the Gennady Golovkins, and things like that. He says that he's looking for those type of bouts. So, with him facing uh, Billy Joe Saunders come May 8th, that's a unification bout. His plan is to try to become the undisputed super middleweight champion, which has never happened. So, if he goes ahead, he faces Billy Joe Saunders and beats Billy Joe Saunders, that leaves one belt, and that belt is the IBF title against Caleb Plant. Now, some people have their thoughts about Caleb Plant, that, yeah, he's an IBF champ, but he hasn't really had that type of a bout that says, okay, we know that he's the goods, you know? Um, but if Canelo gets through that, then he'll, you know, basically be the uh, undisputed super middleweight champion. So, I, I, I kind of feel what you're saying in, in that aspect because most people know what the direction is for Canelo Alvarez from this point forward. And there's only, you know, a few other options out there for Canelo Alvarez. But, you know, like like you were saying, after that fight uh, that Alvarez had with Yildirim, like if you think about the landscape of where he's at, whether it's, you know, middleweight, those middleweight fighters that are out there, those that super middleweight and even those that light heavyweight. What fighter out there could you say could go up against Canelo Alvarez where he's either a slight favorite, it's even, or he's a slight underdog? And I could only name one, pretty much. And that's Better BF. And even with Better BF, he doesn't have that much experience overall. So it is it's hard to you know it's hard to gauge in that aspect if canelo could get him to deep waters canelo stops him or 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 gets knockdowns to win a close split decision canelo get past the first six rounds and better be able to let his low go the same way he did in whatever fight against that other guy um canelo could win the fight just getting past round 7 round eight and this Canelo fight. I will say Canelo is doing some things that are um that are not phys- physically responsible. The way he bring his uppercut down out and down to come around a person's guard or whatever. The I mean obviously he ain't gonna fight the right wrong person, but the right wrong person that's not going to bode well. 
slow guys who don't throw back, yeah, it works. But you see um, Ryan, Ryan, um, whatever to do, Ryan Garcia mm-hmm. trying to do the same thing. But we see what happens. Obviously, he ain't as skillful as Canelo, but when people are throwing back at him, and he's throwing them wide shots, hooks and uppercuts from down here and up there, people throw a straight shot. And they, they get to that to the mark first and hurt him. That likely won't happen to Canelo because Canelo probably won't push himself. And I'm not saying this to say that Canelo ain't a champion because, you know, he's still my pound for pound. But, you know, if Errol Spence fights somebody and he fights a dog in his next fight, he overtakes Canelo. Mm. If he fight Keith Thurman, if he fight Manny obviously fight Manny Pacquiao but um, if he fight Keith Thurman he overtake him if he fight um, even Ugas let me think about it I think it don't take much for for what's his name for um, I'm losing my train of thought I don't take, think it takes much for Errol Spence to, to, to at least be 1A 1B at this point and or could be above because if he fight a real person with the last few people Canelo them fought his his stock is going down by by um deterioration that, that ain't cool man that's not cool okay Canelo gonna fight Billy Joe Saunders that's a that's a that's a pretty good win if he wins that's a pretty good win But if I still feel like if um, Errol Spence fight a Keith Thurman or Pacquiao, definitely if he fight Pacquiao and he win, that's that's a uh, that's an automatic like that's the guy. Maybe even Keith Thurman. Ugas, nah, he don't get the the one spot. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's something to think about um, with Spence because you know he has his wins over Mikey Garcia, he has a win over Sean Porter, he has a win over Danny Garcia. Um, you you named his potential opponents next. You're Dennis Ugas, who's the WBA champion now. Uh, Manny Pacquiao, which I mean I don't necessarily see at this point with uh, Pacquiao not having a belt. And uh, Keith Thurman, you know, who's a contender, um, you know, but, you know, with, uh, you know, that being said, I mean, he'll, he'll have, you know, a very good resume there over at welterweight. Now, if he faces Terrence Crawford and beats Terrence Crawford, then definitely he'll, he'll you know, have his case to be over Canelo Alvarez. Um, it's just that, you know, with who Canelo has fought, uh, particularly in the super middleweight division, I think that. You know, uh, people kind of um, bring that up as a division that's not really, you know, very proven. They have, you know, a couple of names out there. You know, they ha- they'll have the champions. But if you think about who they've had as a world champion and what they've done in order to become a champion, that really hasn't been much, you know, at all. I mean, Billy Joe Saunders was a WBO champ, but he won the vacant belt. 
Um, you know, you have, um, you know, Caleb Plant being an IBF champ. And, you know, he gets that IBF belt and has like a couple of defenses. But it's like none of those defenses seem like they, you know, were very uh, impressive or anything like that. So, you know, we had the win over Jose Escatagui. And then after that, he defends against a Mike Lee, against a Vincent Feigenboots, and against Caleb Truax. Like, you can't really get much out of that other than Caleb Truax, who was a veteran and a former champ. But outside of that, you really can't say much. And of course, WBC had their whole little issue with David Benavidez uh, ended up vacating the belt. So right now... You have a few names, but as far as like overall uh, history, as far as like what they have done in the super middleweight division, it really hadn't been that much. So if if Canelo ends up beating Billy Joe Saunders, then he ends up beating Caleb Plant and becomes an undisputed super middleweight champion, then that's one thing. But after that, all they'll have is what? A fight against a David Benavidez, and against a uh, 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 Jamal Charlo, if Jamal Charlo moves up, and then that's that's all as far as like super middleweight goes. But compare that to like a uh, uh, Errol Spence, who could potentially fight Keith Thurman, Yudenis Ugas, Terence Crawford, possibly Manny Pacquiao, and beat all of those guys, and to find himself at at, at uh, welterweight. And he could have a better resume, you know. Um, I think there was something, you know, talking about, you know, what would be more impressive or could be more impressive is if um, if Canelo wins the Super Middleweight Championship, undisputed, would it be better than what Alexander Usyk did at Cruiserweight or Terrence Crawford did at, um, you know, Super Lightweight? You know, um, would that be more impressive than than those two? And that that could be that could be a question. But something that also could be considered is after uh, Canelo has his fight with Billy Joe Saunders on May eighth, whether it's a week later or a couple of weeks later, you're going to have the undisputed super lightweight championship fight once again. Is Jose uh, Ramirez will be going up uh, there. Um, you know he'll he'll have his two titles going up against Josh Taylor, and the winner of that will be the now undisputed champion at super lightweight. Either one of those guys could have their name as uh, as a potential um, uh, guy as someone that could be a pound for pound. Particularly Josh Taylor. Josh Taylor could also could definitely make a case if he wins that. So um I don't know. With Canelo, you know, having his resume, yeah, he he's fought in all those name guys and everything like that. But right now at Super Middleweight, Super Middleweight has not really been anywhere near of a glamour division, you know, according to many. So even if he gets these wins over Billy Joe Saunders and and a Caleb Plant, what would that mean as far as like how how we how he's viewed compared to other guys that have won undisputed titles in the past, you know. So that's something to consider. Yeah. Um. 
also, um, you had this thing, um, I don't know if you, you caught like anything from that, uh, the undercard of Canelo Yildirim, but I also brought up the, uh, fight that happened between, um, Zelay Zhang, that heavyweight fight, uh, Jerry Ford, Zelay Zhang, where it was, uh, ended up being a draw. I don't know if you, uh, were able to get any, uh, catch any clips of that. Yeah, I watched it. Um... The guy's big. Uh, I'm trying to do a compliment sandwich here. He's big. <laughs> uh, what else is next in the compliment sandwich? I, oh, I can criticize him now. Uh, yeah, he big. He don't have win, it don't look like. the. I mean, he had power early. Uh, let me be, let me be. So I saw some glimpses that, that looked like he was quasi-skillful, skillful, but there were things like he just, he abandoned the jab, obviously because he was tired. And then the guy he was fighting did what he was supposed to do in one sense where he was going to the body, he let his hands go, and then he landed big shots that kind of like stopped Zhang in his, um, in his tracks. But down the trenches, where he should have just let go a little bit more, it's like he was afraid to, to pull the trigger because he, he was afraid that he wouldn't have no more. Which might have been worthy or, or a good thing, but... Yeah, Joshua might have trouble with the guy, but that's just because Joshua's skill. But Tyson Fury definitely would not have trouble with him. Even Deontay Wilder, because this dude does not move his head. And as long as Deontay Wilder still got the uh, Thor's hammer, which he should have it. Oh, speaking of, Canelo threw that one too, and it looked just like Deontay Wilder. It looked just like a knife, like Deontay, when Deontay Wilder threw that right hand. People don't know the way they talk about when they talk about this guy, because, okay, I'll give you this. His last fight with Tyson Fury, he looked. Everything about that fight looked looked wrong, but it started with whatever was going on on, on the internally with him. Someone right about him doing that fight, but other than that, when he throws that one two, it's like it's a sharp one two. Like he 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 follows a line, and people will have their guard up, and he literally gets through a opening that's like two inches two inches of an opening. Canelo did the exact same thing when he knocked Yildirim down that first time. It looked very Deontay Wilder-esque. You know, straight, straight shot. He throw the one, do whatever, to, to hypnotize whatever he needed to do, and then that two come, it's just, just a sharp two. Uh, back to Zhang, Zhang again. Um, yeah, he... It would be a competitive fight, maybe early with Joshua, but he, he don't stand a chance with Tyson Fury or Deontay Wilder. Um, he would only give the other guys trouble because he's big. That's the only reason why he would give them trouble. But then if he don't work on his win, then somebody may be like, who's a second tier heavyweight, top second tier heavyweight? 
Uh, How about a, a, a Otto Wallin or a, or a, um, was it um, Andy Ruiz? Um, Andy Ruiz was laying hands on him, so I think his chin would betray him if he could box and stay away from Andy Ruiz, then he'll win the easy fight. But. If he get tired and Andy Ruiz got him in the corner and just let the hands go, and he throw an overhand right right into his path with his chin at, Andy Ruiz could win later by, you know, knock knockout or stoppage or something like that. But, you know, even Luis Ortiz, I think it would be tough early, but then again you go to the later rounds where Luis Ortiz kinda conserving energy. He come on late and either win a decision or, you know, however um, you said, what's the first guy you named? Ruiz or, um, as far as like a potential opponent for Zelay's yeah, name. the boxing dude. You named the guy who boxes, I forgot his name. Well, I was talking about Ruiz or, um, Otto Walling. Walling. Yeah, so Waleen, Otto Waleen, um, well, I think, depending on how tall Waleen is, I think Waleen could stay away from him for 12 rounds. Waleen is a is a poor man's version of Tyson Fury. Like he, I think the dude's kind of skillful. He ain't got no power, but he's skillful. Mm-hmm. He can keep somebody away from him. He he got pretty good foot movement. He moved like he a cruiserweight. Yeah, you. So I think yeah, that was mentioned um, when we were talking about the fight against Brazil. Yeah, but Brazil make anybody move like they're a cruiserweight. <laughs> that is true. That is true. But um, I did mention that uh, Zelay Zhang, you know, that his trainer was talking about um, uh, other fighters at the heavyweight division that he could possibly fight, like a Philip Hergovich or a uh, Derek Chisora or Dylan White or Alexander Povetkin. Um, yeah, I... I just think Zlay Zang is just too... He looks too slow. Uh, he doesn't really, like, put a lot of those punches together. And, you know, you were talking about uh, Zang being winded. Yeah, he ended up being winded over the course of the fight against Jerry Forrest. And that's how Jerry Forrest was able to get back into that fight. Um, thing is, Jerry Forrest didn't really, like, hit him... Well, he hit him with a lot of shots, especially in the tail end of the fight. Zang was able to take those shots. But some of these other guys, they're going to have a little bit more behind their punches. Um, and that could be a uh, signal for trouble for Zang on, on that instance. Um, one other fighter that actually Jerry Forrest lost to before fighting Zang was uh, Carlos Tackham. Uh, Carlos Tackham. Uh, with his experience, he he could be like uh, Otto Wallin against uh, Zelay Zhang and move around the ring and stuff. That could you know give uh, Zhang some problems. So, 
uh, think that is um, one thing that he would have to deal with is somebody that can move around the ring better. How is he, how is Zane going to be able to deal with that? You know, um, but just wanted to uh, just get that in here before our next uh, quick break. So I'm going to uh, break for about a few seconds. And then uh, after that, we're going to talk about uh, this purse bid that happened earlier this week involving a uh, unified champion. So we'll get back at it here in about a few seconds. All right, we are back at it, and I wanted to get into this uh, other thing here with the unified lightweight champion, Teofimo Lopez. Of course, Teofimo Lopez had his win over Vasil Lomachenko last year uh, to collect a few more belts. He came in there as an IBF champion uh, and then got the WBO belt. He got the WBA belt, and he got the WBC franchise title. He is the self-proclaimed undisputed champion. Well, people that were in top rank kind of called him the undisputed champion, but he's not. Either way, uh, he, people knew about his next fight was going to be expected, and it was going to be a mandatory defense of the IBF title, and it was going to be against George Cambosis Jr. Now... It ended up going to a purse bid, and people knew that it was going to go to a purse bid. Now, the problem was that the fight couldn't get made because Top Rank, who is the promoter for Teofimo Lopez, said that they wouldn't pay a little bit more than the minimum, which was around $1.25 million for Teofimo Lopez to fight George Cambosis. So they just said, you know what, we're going to let it go to a purse bid. You know, uh, close, what, close envelope, purse bid, or whatever it is, right? All right, cool bet. So they had the purse bid, and purse bid jumps off. And um, you had top rank uh, put up a bid, you know, and... Uh, they put up a bid of around $2.3 million. Then they had another person come up, and that was a representative from Matchroom Boxing, and they put in a bid for $3.5 million. Both of them lost. Ryan Kavanaugh from Triller, who you know, had that whole thing with Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones in the whole Nate Robinson, Jake Paul thing, whatever it is. And they came in with a bid of $6,180,000, and they won the bid. So you're going to have Teofimo Lopez going up against George Cambosis on Triller, and it could possibly be included in a card that could involve Mike Tyson uh, back in the ring once again. Uh, he could be facing Evander Holyfield in another uh, Triller pay-per-view battle. Uh, but there have been other reports that have said that Lopez versus Cambosis on Triller would be its own pay-per-view main event. So you could have that be a headliner in an event uh, between Teofimo Lopez and George Cambosis. But 
one of the other things that came out of it is that Bob Arum kind of like was a little bit upset at Eddie Hearn because he didn't want Eddie Hearn to go ahead and participate in a purse bid. And Eddie Hearn was like, man, if you don't get, if you don't get the hell out of here, because the thing about it is, is like, first off, it shouldn't have, it wouldn't have gotten to a purse bid in the first place if you were actually wanting to pay Teofimo Lopez. But he didn't want to do that. So now you're going to have Teofimo now in over on Triller, you know, for one, it'll be a one-off fight. Yeah, but he's going to be getting paid for a little bit over $4 million for that fight against George Cambosis. He gets through that fight. He wins that fight. His next bout would be under top rank one way or the other. And if that's the case, then you're going to have Teofimo Lopez asking for around that type of money as a minimum for his fight. And we know how Bob Arum thinks. He already had his little spat in reference to Terrence Crawford saying that Terrence Crawford, you know, has him losing money. So if Terrence Crawford is losing the money, what are you talking about when you refer to Teofimo Lopez if you're not going to pay him more than $1.25 million for a fight? Now he's going over the Triller and he's going to get about $4 million. So when he gets back off of that fight, are you going to pay him $4 million? Most likely not. So then what's going to happen? Is he going to be waiting out for another purse bid for for the WBA mandatory or whatever it is? Or, as a lot of people are trying to get Teofimo Lopez to do, is fight Devin Haney, who is the WBC champion. So... After he gets through this fight with uh, George Cambosis, you could have yet another purse bid with Teofimo Lopez and Devin Haney. And that might end up being a little bit more than, uh, you know, that $6.18 million that Triller uh, ordered for that purse bid. But kind of goes into, you know, this whole thing with uh, Bob Arum and Bob Arum saying that, yay, I'm not going to be paying all this type of money. You know what I mean? I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. You know, when (laughs) I got all this other stuff going on, but the interesting part about it is that with top rank, uh, it was disclosed. uh, I think it was, um, I think it was, uh, Kevin Ioli, uh, there that might've disclosed it. Um, that top ranks operating budget, with ESPN is $84 million. And ESPN is the one that like takes care of all the stuff for TV production, promotion, that type of thing, and all of that. While Top Rank just sits there and just says, hey, we got these fighters. We're going to put up these fights. And you got the money, so you can give us some money to make these fights. Whether it's on ESPN or ESPN Plus or Plus Pay-Per-View or whatever. But with that being said, $84 million at an operating budget and you can't pay Teofimo Lopez anywhere over $1.25 million for a fight. 
and says a lot about top rank. Um, but I, I just expect, you know, this thing with Teofimo Lopez, it's going to be a little bit of a mess because it, it kind of like reminds me of when they had Mikey Garcia as a lightweight champion. He was WBC lightweight champ and top rank had held him out for up to two years before he had his next fight. So here with uh, Teofimo Lopez, they're they're not going to be able to have him hold out for that long, especially with him being a unified champion. So after you had this fight with George Cambosis, like I was saying before, it's going to end up being another purse bid for Teofimo Lopez's next fight, whether it's against the Devin Haney or against, you know, anybody else that's out there. So, um, top ranks in a little bit of trouble with Teofimo Lopez, man. And, and that kind of like goes into the business of the sport is that, hey, y'all going to have to one way or another pay these fighters. Because if you don't, then they're going to end up going elsewhere. And you can't have an attitude about one, either them going elsewhere or two, having them go with another uh, promotional company like a matchroom when you've worked with matchroom before. So that that kind of like was weird to me there. But um, Mike, any thoughts about this uh, Teofimo Lopez uh, thing with um, top ranking Bob Aaron? Yeah, I got a, quite a few thoughts. Number one, kudos to Teofimo Lopez for understanding different dimensions of the game. Um, I'm sure a lot of it was out of his control, but I would like to ask you what, what made it, what allowed this to go to Perth bid? Because it's a mandatory fight. Like why, why was this allowed to go to Perth bid? Yeah. It went to Perth bid. Um, like initially what was going to happen was, um, they wanted to see if they could have that fight over in, uh, what is it, Australia or something like that, wherever George Cambosis is from. But the whole thing with uh, COVID kind of like shut that down. So it was going to end up being over on uh, the U.S. side. But with that being said, that kind of like has top rank handling the bill and they just didn't want to pay Lopez, uh, more than 1.25 million. And because of that, that's how it just went into, you know, purse bid because you had, um, Lopez's manager and his dad, who's a trainer, um, say 1.25 is, you know, not that much at all, especially if you as a unified champion, you're going to have to pay, you know, a percentage off of your purse right off the bat. So, that 1.25 is, you know, going to end up being a take home of like 1.1 or probably a solid 1 million, you know? Um, yeah. So they just said, you know what? No, nah, we're going to hold out and we're going to wait until the IBF enforces the purse bid. And when they enforce the purse bid, that's when you had three people participate. So... Hey, there's like some type of feedback that was uh, going on there. I don't know, you know what that is. Is it still there? 
It was a little bit. Is it bit. better now? It was a little bit. So, my next question or comment is if Sean Porter is Terrence Crawford's mandatory, why is Terrence Crawford not getting purse bids where he gets $6 million? First question how much is Terrence Crawford making for a run of the mill fight? And why, why is this strategy not employed by Terrence Crawford? Well, the last fight that he had, he got around $4 million against Kell Brook. Um, total purse was, you know, around $6 million or a little bit above $6 million. Um, it should be employed by Terrence Crawford. It might be involved. Uh, um, it might be, uh, I think Sean Porter is kind of playing that game. Um, I think he's waiting on the WBO to do something to to enforce like a, a, a force him as a mandatory number one, and then after that, you know, say that he's gonna get into a purse bid, you know, next up. Um, because yeah, if if you if you see like you, this is basically a mistake by by Bob Arum and 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 Todd DeBow and. And Carl Moretti and, you know, everybody that's involved with top rank, whatever it is, as far as like the higher ups or the executives, because you allowed um, one of your higher profile fighters uh, to be put out on the market. And with, well, with Teofimo Lopez, he's now getting almost, he's getting about at least over three times the amount that he would have gotten if he just had that fight with top ranking, it being under top ranking ESPN. Now with, uh, you know, Terrence Crawford, if, um, you know, you have something there with Sean Porter being the WBO number one, he could be named mandatory. And then they could just go ahead and go put that up for purse bid. But it might not be a good look on, on that side for a, uh, for Sean Porter because the percentages for a WBO mandatory are like 80% to 20%. So like, for example, if they went to a purse bid for, uh, for like a, a Crawford versus Porter and the winning bid was $10 million, Crawford would get 8 million, but Porter would still get two. You see, so I have to, you know, confirm the, the thing for the uh, per split for the WBO. It's either 80-20 or it's 75-25. So um, either way, if it's like an 80-20, um, then that might not be a good look for a Sean Porter, you know, because he would still be, you know, getting like $2 million, which he he got $2 million base, um you got like a two million base for the fight against uh um Errol Spence. But that was like two million base plus the pay per view. So it, it was gonna be more than that. Um let's see, it it's actually seventy five twenty five. So like if if uh Crawford would get seven point five million, Porter would get two point five million. So I don't know. If he let it go to purse bid and it's like a bid of ten million then that would be how it would work out. And 
would Porter be down for Terrence Crawford getting $5 million more million than him? I don't know. But we may hear more from Sean Porter uh, later uh, this week because I think he was going to go a little bit more into uh, why he didn't accept the, I guess it was the $2 million offer uh, that was uh, put out uh, to him. So we'll get more information on that. But what was uh, what else you wanted to go into? Yeah. Um, I I just question Team Crawford and not this obviously strategy ain't new under the sun. So. I get this loyalty thing. I understand Teofimo Lopez is new. He's hungry. He he's brash. He's like he's like the the new age where you know they only work for two years and they lead a company. I just I just don't see how Terrence Crawford. I ain't counting the man money, but obviously if you compare him to other fighters, he ain't making as much as those fighters are. Obviously, because his his promoter is telling him that the money that I've given you is too much, and, you know these amounts ain't happening, and he still wants you to stay along with him. I just mm-hmm. that just and I, I question that. Um, I don't see how Teofimo Lopez and Cambosas is its own pay per view. I could be wrong on that, but personally speaking. I don't see how that's its own pay-per-view and it people will buy it because you know yeah you want to see boxing but that's not a pay-per-view fight unless Cambosas is is more than what I think he is well I'm here to tell you that he's not um okay well there you go <laughs> so with that being said he better hope that they bring a Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield because for him that is instant publicity he can do a backflip talk crap talk whatever boss stuff he want to talk and he gonna have all these eyes on him as long as they give him the money that he asking for man you better hope to hop on the card with Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield because every casual fan will know your name or, or still don't give or take some but um, I, I, I don't see yeah these two options I guess they think they can maximize the dollars because they can get they're going to get the amount of money that they will get from the Tyson card anyway and they probably think that well if we put this on a separate card this would just be more money than what we would get anyway hmm. but yeah, but it's it'll it'll be weird to see how this um, works out for Teofimo Lopez because you know, like you're saying, um, like a, a Lopez Cambosas can't stand alone as it is as a pay per view main event. Um, you know the they had the thing with the Mike Tyson and Roy Jones be you know at a certain price point for their trailer pay per view. So, if either they're going to have this as being the main event and then set their own price point for it, 
or they're going to have him be involved, you know, like I said, with uh, another Mike Tyson fight. It could be Mike Tyson uh, there against Evander Holyfield. Have them set their price point as, as their pay-per-view, you know, and have him be part of that co-feature. And like you said, he could talk his trash. He could, you know, put on a jersey or whatever it is. He could do a black flip if he's able to finish off uh, George Cambosis with a knockout victory and, and then get that type of buzz. But... You know, outside of that, it, it, it'll it be interesting to see what they do as far as like positioning Teofimo Lopez in, in the thriller, um, in the thriller pay-per-view event, particularly if it's not going to be with um, a um, like a Mike Tyson versus Evander Holyfield. What if it's like a, uh, another thing for like, what, what is it? Those YouTube guys, the, the, the Jake Pauls, the Logan Pauls, the KSIs or whatever. What if that ended up happening? I mean, they showed that that model works because casual people like that insert curse word. Um, I mean, it worked, Jr. So if it bring you dollars, the thing is, it's diminishing returns. You can only do it so many times, but. If you get Jake Paul talking smack or whichever one not fight Mike, uh, whichever one not supposed to fight uh, uh, Mayweather, if you get the other one talking smack to some other person, an athlete or something, or, or you know, like you just gotta harness that somebody who or an organic beef between one of those guys because obviously they are popular. That beef sale, you know internet beef and you said you're going to bring it to, to somebody dough in real life <laughs> I think of the sale I personally you know think it's a mockery of the sport but you know hey I get it it's financial as well so what do I know <laughs> funny that you say that term mockery of the sport because a few months ago, or it was a good amount of months ago, there was a guy by the name of Teofimo Lopez that said something about YouTube fighters being on these events and main card and being the main event in these fight cards, and saying pretty much to the extent that it was a mockery of the sport. How would how crazy would it be? is if he was involved in a card that involved any of those guys that had a YouTube following or anything like that. That would be crazy to me. Because it would kind of be like, uh, some people would say it's like karma to a certain extent. Uh, but, um, you know, that's that's uh, part of the whole thing with, with, with the, uh, you know, the the YouTube game and, and, and people following uh, guys on social media and these quote-unquote social media influencers or something like that. But one thing to also kind of like bring up uh, there is you had someone in, in a, uh, you know, like a Jake Paul who was also involved with another fighter, a fighter by the name of Ryan Garcia. And uh, this could lead to something if you don't end up having, you know, um, 
what is it? Um, Teofimo Lopez still, you know, do something with top rank, then maybe they could have something with Teofimo Lopez against Ryan Garcia. But I don't think that could really happen because Garcia uh, is kind of like one of those quote-unquote mandatories for, you know, uh, Devin Haney, but not for Teofimo Lopez as Teofimo Lopez is the franchise champ. So, uh, I don't know. Maybe that could lead to something else later on down the line with the Teofimo Lopez going up against Ryan Garcia. And how does Ryan Garcia kind of like react to something like that? Seeing Teofimo Lopez end up getting like a $4 million for his particular fight uh, that could be on the Triller. When we really don't know what's next for Ryan Garcia. It's not going to be against uh, Gravante Tank Davis. He was talking about Tank Davis once again after that Canelo fight. But Tank Davis has a hand injury. So he's on the shelf for a few months at the very least. So you're not going to have Ryan Garcia facing uh, Tank Davis anytime soon. And they're going to try to get Ryan Garcia back in the ring. So... I see him, like I said, going up against a Jorge Linares, you know, by by the summer or around that or around that time frame, and then after that, maybe they could revisit the thing with Cavante Davis, uh, because it won't be Manny Pacquiao. I'm sorry, it's not going to be that. Um, but outside of that, you have a very slim chance that it could possibly be. Teofimo Lopez against Ryan Garcia later this year, but that's. I think that's a fairly slim chance of happening right there. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, that's what I got as far as, like, you know, that being a potential matchup. But, uh, Mike, what do you think about maybe a Teofimo Lopez versus Ryan Garcia later this year? I mean, that would be the most official fight, one of the more official fights that we can get. Um, would they would they allow Ryan Garcia to get in the ring with Teofimo Lopez though? <laughs> That's a good I don't question. Think. I don't. I, I, don't I, think I, feel, I feel like they don't. I feel like they wouldn't really want um, him to get in the ring with Tank Davis at this particular point. I, I mean, I what's the name? Ain't no better though. Teofimo Lopez ain't ain't, ain't yeah. that much of a. Um, the, both of them gonna punish him. Yeah, it just ends up being like which one will end up garnering the most money, you know? Exactly. So if if they're gonna do that, if they're gonna feed him to shit, you might as well feed him to Manny Pacquiao. If you're gonna feed him to one of these young people, yeah, at least he has the excuse of saying he has the Canelo excuse, where I fought a. a uh, Hall of Famer, and I might have been too young. Let me go at it again. I know I'll beat him. Yep. He could definitely do that if he, he's able to fight Manny Pacquiao. And I think that's, uh, that is the, you know, real possibility. Um, but, but Manny Pacquiao stop him, though. He would. He would. And they're not going to check Manny Pacquiao for, um, you know, like they kind of let Manny Pacquiao, like, do what he do because they want him to fight you know so they got to meet his demands sort of yep 
And that would be the thing is that they already, I mean, the WBA took the belt from Manny Pacquiao. So, you know, for Pacquiao, two two fights are out by the, by the WBA making that decision. The fight against Errol Spence is out because that would have been another unification for Errol Spence. And the WBA kind of like did that because with their rules, either Pacquiao would have had to face um, Crawford or Spence or Yudenis Ugas. So with him dropping the belt, they saying like, hey, you've been inactive. If you come back, either you would have to face Yudenis Ugas, you would have to face man, uh, 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 Errol Spence, or you would have to face Terrence Crawford. But he kind of like decided, hey, I don't really need to face any of those guys. I'll just go ahead and give up that belt, which he basically did. So that does leave the door open for, you know, Manny Pacquiao to face Ryan Garcia because there's nothing really on the line for that particular bout. So I think, you know, with that being said, um, I think Ryan Garcia would be able to kind of like see if he could try to go for legacy once again. Um, or, you know, like, uh, or try to do it like, uh, Canelo did, but you know how that guess who can fight an exhibition. Mm-hmm. Trilla can. Yep. They can. They sure can. And how much did Mike Tyson get paid for that last shindig? Man, I, I thought that was about like 30 million or something like that. Thirty million plus. I asked that to say this: Mike Tyson wouldn't. I mean, Manny Pacquiao wouldn't ask for thirty million to fight Ryan Garcia. I think. Don't you think he'd be happy with like ten or something to get a, a spoon feeding of Ryan Garcia? Mm, yeah, he'd probably be ten. Actually, Mike Tyson had a base purse of like ten million dollars for that pay per view fight with Roy Jones, but. Um, you know, he, he got a little bit more than that, given that there was like about, I think about a million, million plus orders for that bout. So, I uh, yeah. And I think, uh, with, um, with, uh, Manny Pacquiao, he, he got like around 10 million, you know, for his fights against, uh, Keith Thurman and, uh, Adrian Broner. So, you know. I think he he could do, do around uh, ten million for that, cause they were talking about this whole thing with uh, possibly Manny Pacquiao and Terence Crawford and them possibly getting them forty million dollars uh, for that. I'm like, nah, they, like no one is gonna put up forty million dollars for Manny Pacquiao to fight uh, Terence Crawford at this particular point. Like that, I I just don't see that happening. So. Um, Right now, it's just about Manny Pacquiao just doing his thing, uh, fighting anybody, and you know, once he ends up doing that, then hey, that you know, it'll it'll be that he's already defined himself as as a you know multi division world champion, and there really isn't much else that he could do in it in this in this uh, particular point. Very true. Cherry picked some. Um... Some guys that you know you can beat. Yeah, that's make some money. Yep, do that. Make some money. You'll be all good. Yeah, don't fight these guys who you know gonna lump your head up. 
Yep, exactly. And you really won't you really won't have that much of a risk fighting uh somebody in a in a uh Ryan Garcia where, you know, you could beat him at a cash weight, one hundred and forty three pounds or something like that and you know, just do your thing and get your money and you know, just call it a day. You know? But um yeah, that that was uh one other thing that, you know, wanted to talk about here real quick. But I got like one more a little segment here that I'll uh, go through um, in this particular podcast. So uh, we'll get right back at it where I'm going to talk about uh, the uh, fights that are happening on March 5th, headlined by the undisputed world title fight between Clarissa Shields and Marie Eve DeCare. So uh, we're going to get right back at that here in the next few seconds, so uh, stick with us as um, we have a little bit of uh, advertisements that we got to go through, and after that, we'll be right back. Now joining us here on the Boxing Source, we have the promoter and the leader of Salida Promotions. He will be talking about the upcoming fight card on Friday, March 5th, headlined by Clarissa Seals versus Marie Eve to care for the undisputed Super Welterweight Championships. And this will be held over in Flint, Michigan, and it will be shown on Fight TV and also on pay-per-view. So joining us now is former professional fighter, former Golden Gloves recipient, and is, like I said, the leader of Salida Promotions. Mr. Dimitri Salida. Hey, Brother Dimitri, how's it going? Everything's good, and you? Doing great, doing great. I just wanted to get in contact with you. I know that you have a big event that's coming up uh, here for Friday, March 5th, so I wanted you to kind of go into that here a little, little bit. No problem. Sounds good. I'm actually in Florida in training camp visiting Carissa. Um, so uh, the champ is looking great. Yeah. I was able to, you know, see that you were there with her uh, in training camp. You know, her and her trainer, John David Jackson. Uh, she has that big, big fight coming up with Marie Eve DeCare for the undisputed super welterweight titles over in Flint, Michigan. And that will be on uh, Fight Sports pay-per-view. Uh, so like everything it, is, it, it, no, it, it's oh, gonna, fight sports. It's going to be up in demand pay-per-view uh, and fight TV. So yeah. in demand pay-per-view throughout the country and fight, and people can order it on fight TV and they're watching through the app uh, as well. Gotcha, so gotcha. App, so people will be able to access it through that app on uh, fight TV. And um, so I know that's going to be a, you know, big event that, you know, Clarissa Shields is, uh, you know, definitely preparing for it there. She's, you know, still undefeated, 10-0, and 0, going up against Marie Eve DeCare at 17-0. And, 0. and um, you know, how, how are you feeling, you know, t- uh, going towards this particular event? This is going to be, you know, something that a lot of people will be, you know, anticipating here. I feel uh, excited about it. It's, it's another first. It's another first pay-per-view uh, for women's boxing. It's another first pay-per-view for Clarissa. And being the leader that she is, she's taking the sport into into new territory. Um, and uh, we're very excited about the event. I think it's going to be a great fight. I think it's one of the best fights to be made in boxing. Two champions fighting each other 
for the undisputed world title. If Clarissa is victorious, she is going to be two division undisputed champion, and truly something that no one has ever done before. And if Maurice scores the upset, what an upset that would be! So it's 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 a it's a great great event, uh, and it's going to be very exciting. We have some great undercard fights as well. Uh, one of the one of the fighters that I'm very excited about is Daniel Perkins, who's fighting for the WBC silver heavyweight title, and she's on her way to being the only American heavyweight world champion. So boxing will have a chance to check her out. It's going to be a great card, uh, and I uh, urge everyone to tune in and support women's boxing, support Clarissa Shields, and a great night of uh, boxing and entertainment. Yep, that's right. That's right. That'll be, you know, coming up, like I said, at the Dort Federal Event Center in Flint, Michigan on uh, March 5th. Uh, so, you know, people should be able to go ahead and check it out. Don't don't miss it. Don't miss it. And uh, I know that, you know, last weekend uh, I was able to, you know, talk a bit about, you know, another one of your uh, fighters there in Otto Wallin, who, you know, scored the victory over Dominic Brazil. And, uh, you know, that was a very, very good performance from Otto Wallin in that particular fight. I think Otto is, one of the, is an elite heavyweight, one of the best in the world. Uh, he should be in line to fight the winner of Joshua versus Fury. We saw what he did with Tyson Fury, and that was two fights ago. He's been victorious against squad opposition. He is world-class and still getting better, which is so amazing, so incredible, that as good as he is, he's still getting better. And, uh, uh, you know, he's, he's in there for a big fight. I'm very excited about the possibilities, about the changing landscape of the heavyweight division uh, and about where, where Otto is on that landscape. So uh, uh, I'm very uh, uh, look forward to, to a great 2021. Yeah, uh, he's, you know, there over in the New York area. He's, you know, training with Joey Gamash. And, yeah, he's been definitely putting in work here over the past, you know, few months while you know, under uh, under your, uh, you know, promotional company. So uh, he did, like, turn in a great performance there uh, over at the Mahegan Sun Casino against Dominic Brazil. And so we're, you know, looking forward to him getting put in position to, you know, have a uh, title fight uh, coming up soon. Exactly. I think, yeah. So I, I agree with all that. And we're just going to keep all the busy, uh, trying to make the biggest and the best fights for him. And, uh, and, and, and I think the rest will take care of itself. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Now, uh, you did have a few other, you know, fighters that are, you know, that have been out in action, you know, also over in the past couple of weeks. And I know that, you know, we've had a couple of guests here uh, that are, you know, under uh, your promotional company, like the Bonus Twins. Uh, so uh, could you go into, you know, more of your uh, fighters that have been action over the past few weeks? Yeah, uh, we had a show box event uh, on the 17th of February. Uh, one of the new fighters that I signed who I'm very excited about is JNF from Figueroa. JNF from Boca Chica Figueroa, who I believe is one of the best uh, waterweight prospects in the world. Uh, he's going to make a lot of noise. He had a tremendous amateur career with wins over some of the best fighters in the world, including Charles Conwell and Brandon Lee. Uh, he's from the rich tradition of Detroit boxing. So, uh, you know, uh, we look forward to him making a lot of noise. Vladimir Shishkin, one of the best super middleweight prospects in the world, contenders. I feel that he's in line to fight Canelo sometime in the near future. 
George Arias, who I uh, signed uh, with a couple more shots, he was the Bella. He moved his record to uh, 16 and 0. Uh, and uh, Timor Karepo, who is a very exciting, very talented middleweight prospect. He's 10 and 0 uh, with five knockouts. He scored a first round knockout over a previously undefeated fighter who was 10 and 0. A very exciting, very talented. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, looking forward to. to uh, things opening up with COVID and not being able to do events with fans and uh, getting back to regular lives or as regular as could be. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. I know that, you know, with, with that, you know, we've kind of had events here and there, you know, while it's been, most of the events have been with like no fans. They're starting to slowly uh, get activity going, you know, particularly like in uh, Florida and over in Texas. Uh, but we're going to see more and more states kind of opening up a little bit as far as like live uh, events are concerned. And then once that happens, then, you know, that opens, you know, for more uh, matchups and uh, more possibilities there for your fighters. And then you'll be able to go ahead and start doing more, um, you know, events yourself. As I know that you, you know, had a couple of events here and there, something over in, uh, I think, like in Detroit, Michigan, a few months ago. Um and also, you know, working with, you know, other uh, fight cards that have been happening uh, across the country. So, yeah, once, you know, the thing with the COVID uh, pandemic thing slows down, then uh, you will be seeing more action uh, from your fighters. Definitely. <clears throat> and it all, conti- it all continues March 5th on pay-per-view. Yep, that's right. That's right. March 5th pay-per-view. Uh, like I said... Uh, you have that main event there, Clarissa Shields versus Marita Care for that undisputed super welterweight title over in Flint, Michigan. Uh, so everybody be sure to, you know, check that out. Um, now, going into, like, what's, uh, you know, upcoming in 2021, um, do you, like, see uh, other things that could be uh, developing for uh, some of your other fighters coming up? <coughs> We're constantly working on, on, on new possibilities, and we're you know we're we're, uh, we're, uh, we're working on on expanding um, our reach and our fighters and our platforms. So you know we're working on new things, and and, and hopefully we'll have good things to uh, to share with with boxing fans and boxers in the very near future. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Now with this thing. Um you know, with this uh, COVID pandemic thing going on, like we had like a lot of issues as far as like getting events done and and things like that. But also, you know, fighters having the time to go to gyms and train and things like that. Um, Have you like talked to your fighters on like how many of them may have had some issues in getting some work in or you know, trying to stay as far as like, uh, you know, active uh, or be sharp with their skills in, in the midst of the uh, pandemic, sp- uh, specifically from last year? Uh, yes. Uh, you know, that's why we're, we're in touch with everybody and making sure that they fight when they're ready. And uh, but folks have been getting back to the gym in the last couple of months. And, you know, we're, we're planning fights out accordingly. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, always, a, always, a, it's always a pleasure, and it's good to let the boxing community know about some of the things that we have going on. And I hope that everybody's gonna tune in on uh, March fifth and check out Clarissa Shields versus Marie Dakari for the undisputed junior middleweight world title. 
and to watch other great fights and great uh, female champions in the making uh, and in the ring. So uh, um, I look forward to staying in touch and, and hope, hopefully talking after the fight. Not a problem there, Brother Dimitri, and thank you very much for taking the time to join with us. Perfect. Thank you. All right, uh, we're just about to uh, get things wrapped up here. I wanted to talk about the fight card that's coming up March 5th over at uh, the Dort Federal Event Center in Flint, Michigan. It will be the undisputed Super Welterweight title fight between Clarissa Shields and Marie-Yves DeCare. And this is uh, following up from an earlier interview that I had uh, with the main promoter for this event. Uh, former uh, pro boxer, uh, now full-time promoter, head of Salida Promotions, Mr. Dimitri Salida. Um, and you know, was able to get through that particular interview where he talked about, you know, everything with Clarissa Shields as you, you know, were able to uh, go through as, you know, Shields kind of completed her training and everything there with John David Jackson. Um, you know, they're down, they were down in Florida uh, for that particular uh, preparation before going up to uh, Flint, Michigan for this uh, big, um, you know, big fight that's going to be on Fight TV. Um, and, you know, other people will be able to order it, you know, through a pay-per-view uh, apparatus and stuff like that. So it'll be Clarissa Shields against Marie-Yves DeCare. Full, uh, a full card, you know, involving uh, women in boxing. So we're going to have, uh, you know, Noemi Vasquez in there against Jamie Mitchell, Logan Huller against Shamel Baldwin, Monica Harrison against Daniel Perkins and uh the headline bout Clarissa Shields against Marie Eve DeCare. Um Clarissa Shields is gonna be trying to be an undisputed champion in super welterweight after being an undisputed champion in middleweight. And of course she has been, you know, trying to get, you know, the biggest fights possible. She's talked about potentially, you know, fighting uh what is it? Um you know, uh, 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 Katie Taylor, uh, Katie Taylor is able to move up that high or, uh, could have been, you know, uh, Cecilia Bracus, uh, while Cecilia Bracus was building her undefeated record and being an undisputed welterweight champion before losing to Jessica McCaskill last year. But now you're going to have that rematch McCaskill versus Bracus on March 13th. So, uh, before that, you're going to have here with, um, Clarissa Shields against Marie-Yves DeCare. DeCare is also undefeated 17-0 with, uh, you know, one belt. So it's going to be a, you know, good little battle there. But it kind of like goes into this whole thing with, um, you know, women's boxing is that here's like an opportunity for, you know, people to get into that particular sport, uh, buy into it, uh, pay-per-view, because you've only had... A very few headliners uh, out there uh, that have, you know, basically happened um, for women's boxing. I think you you had the thing where um, that main event for uh, Tulsa that was Jessica McCaskill and 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 um, Cecilia Breakus, but outside of that, you really don't see that happening. Like a Katie Taylor, like Katie Taylor. Um, you know, defending their titles. Sometimes that could be a main event. Sometimes it isn't. But, you know, here we have Clarissa Shields, two-time 
Olympic gold medalist, undisputed champion and middleweight. Um, you know, also, like I said, trying to be undisputed champion here at Super Welterweight. She also, you know, had the thing where she was a, what is it, a super, yeah, super middleweight title too. So, like I said, it, it's crazy because she's starting from being a super middleweight title or a super middleweight champion and then move down to become an undisputed middleweight champion. And now, you know, she moved down once again. Uh, and now she's trying to be the undisputed super welterweight champion. So, um, like I said, um, Salida Promotions is, ha is uh, you know, running this thing over in Flint, Michigan. Uh, be something where we'll see if uh, Clarissa Shields could once again become an undisputed champion and kind of like say that, well, she calls herself the quote. And here, here's another opportunity for her to kind of like extend uh, her legacy, even even with it being just her uh, 11th professional bout of her professional career. So, I mean, that's what we got uh, there in, in that particular instance there. But um, uh, anything there from uh, you, uh, Mike, as far as like Carissa Shields and what she's been able to do in, in women's boxing? Uh, see if uh, he was like on here or whatnot. I'm not sure. Uh, but I think he he um I think there was like some issues there with uh, Mike's um audio there. But I thought it was gonna be able to get uh, his uh, take on um you know what would be going on next week. Uh, there I think he's uh, back on uh, there with uh, Clarissa Shields uh, fighting on. Uh, it's gonna be Friday, March fifth. And it's gonna be a boxing match and not an MMA match. Yeah, it's not an MMA match. They actually, you know, uh, had her, you know, still uh, here in uh, boxing. I know that she said that she was going to go for MMA, but before that, you know, happens, she's going to try to become the undisputed champion at uh, Super Welterweight first. Gotcha. I mean, it's going to hopefully it'll be a good fight. Um... I mean, I don't have too many more comments on that. I think it's definitely should be a good fight. Obviously, she'll bring the action, um, be an advocate for the sport. Yeah. Oh, uh, so 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 no so no compliment sandwich in, in reference to this then. I mean, you can't criticize. Uh, it's different when you criticize certain things about. Yeah, the sport. Uh, yeah, I feel you. I feel you. I feel you. Um, so it's a different, different realm. Yeah, but you know, for me, it, it's something where you know, it, it like they want to, you know, go ahead and try to get, you know, the same, you know, try to get around the same amount of, you know, respect as far as like, you know, it being like it's a dangerous sport, and Shields has been one of the, you know, most vocal as far as like trying to, you know, get. Um, you know, women's boxers to get the, you know, right amount of pay or the pay that they, you know, seem like they want to get, you know. Um, but, you know, it, it's all based on the amount of interest there. And you're not going to get the pay that you want unless if you get the interest uh, out there for, you know, people to watch you fight. 
And so here with this um, fight card that's happening, this is, you know, one of their biggest opportunities because, you know, outside of, you know, someone like a like a Katie Taylor, you know, um, you you don't necessarily have the amount of interest or the amount of attention that you need in order to, you know, garner the pay that you want to get. So this is kind of like, this is important for them, or at least, you know, for Clarissa Shields, because she wants to, you know, get, you know, a good amount of money uh, to go out there and fight. But if you don't either have the attendance that you need, like, for example, this is going to be at Flint, Michigan. This is her, you know, her hometown. So whatever amount of tickets available for that fight, they would have to be sold out. Uh, they're, you know, able to open it up. And you got to have the amount of people to buy into, you know, the pay-per-view or, you know, going on Fight TV to watch it on Fight TV, you know. Um, but if not, then, you know, your fights going forward won't be able to pull the amount of money that you need, you know, in one instance. Um, I think one of the other things is, too, that you really don't have... Um, you know, anywhere near that many uh, fighters in the sport um, at, at, at this moment. Like, you talk about uh, this particular division, uh, a listing, I only see listing in here, 39, 39, that's it, 39 fighters in that particular division, Super Bowl weight division. I could go to... Um, you know, another one, another division, middleweight, same amount of same amount of fighters that are being listed. Uh welterweight, where you have, you know, uh Jessica McCaskill and Cecilia Breakus, man, uh they could, you know, have a little bit more than, you know, fifty or so, but it's not like it's, you know, a hundred or hundred and fifty or two hundred fighters within that particular division that's competing in that division. All you have is like forty, maybe forty or fifty you know, and they probably don't have, you know, as many divisions out there, you know, so, um, you know, with that being said, you, they can't, um, it, it'll be difficult for them to, you know, get that type of attention, which would garner the amount of money that they would want in order to step into the ring. If you have like a, um, a Michaela Mayer or, you know, like the Serrano sisters, or, you know, anyone like that, sometimes they'll be able to bring in a crowd or so, you know, but unless if you had those consistent numbers coming in to see them fight, then they won't, it'll be difficult for them to get the money that they need. But in reference to, you know, this particular fight card, it, it'll be um, very important for them to get a lot of interest for it and people to invest into it uh, so that more of these events can happen uh, for, you know, women's boxing and that people will be able to, you know, go ahead and watch it uh, there. So, you know, with that being said, that kind of uh, puts a cap to this particular episode of the Boxing Source Radio Show. Big shout out to our brother Mike for joining in. Uh, we will get right back at it uh, here for the next episode that will be March 7th. And um, we're going to be talking about, 
you know, the action that's going to be coming forward on uh, March 13th in that particular episode. But once again, thanks for everyone uh, that will be uh, listening in. Uh, be sure to subscribe to this podcast uh, that's available on iTunes or whatever I uh, use for listening to podcasts. And like I say, at the end of every show, folks, point of boxing is a hit and I can hit. Not to send the trade on that, folks. I'm out. Have a good evening, everybody.